I mostly read public domain books here on Glenn Reads Books to You, and they were written a long time ago, so they're usually racist or sexist or bigoted. But in there somewhere is a story, and uh, that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist. But they might have uh, adult language or adult situations, like, uh, oh, I don't know, making sex. Uh, So that's your warning. But I'm sure you're grown up enough to handle it. Uh, Don't write to me complaining. Man, the Love is Blind show is going to be on pretty soon. It's a live event on Netflix. Ah, you're back. Why are you coming back now? I've only got a couple hours till Love is Blind's live event happens on Netflix. And you're here wasting my goddamn time. Fine. I will try to squeeze in a reading of uh, Chapter 7 of The Great Gatsby for you because you have no friends. And all you want to do is hang out with an old man in his luxurious mansion. Welcome to the Glenn Reads Books to You Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, This week, I'm going to keep reading The Great Gatsby uh, by F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's a book a friend of mine, Bakiwop, asked that I read uh, around two years ago. And you can go find him at versamilitudino.us, which is impossible to spell, but I have it linked in my show notes. Uh, You want to learn a little bit about the author before we dive in? Sure you do because you're a a studious little child, aren't you? Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald was born September 24th, uh, 1896, and he died December 21st, 1940. Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald was an American novelist, essayist, and short story writer who stole everything from his wife. Go listen to uh, uh, episode number two on this, or chapter two. Uh, He is best known for his novels depicting the flamboyance and excess of the jazz age, a term he popularized in his short story collections, Tales of the Jazz Age. And during uh, his lifetime, he published four novels, four story collections, 164 short stories. And although he achieved temporary and popular success and fortune in the 1920s, Fitzgerald received critical acclaim only after his death and is now widely regarded as one of the greatest American writers who stole from his wife of the 20th century. Want to hear fun fact? <clears throat> sure. He narrowly missed out on serving in World War I. When the United States entered World War I in 1917, Fitzgerald dropped out of Princeton and took a commission as a second lieutenant in the Army. Worried that he might die in battle, he began frantically writing in his off hours in the hopes of leaving behind a literary legacy. Uh, Then he met his wife. While he never made it to the battlegrounds of World War I, the November 1918 armistice was signed shortly before he was to be shipped overseas. Fitzgerald did complete a draft of an unpublished novel called uh, The Road Romantic Egoist, uh, which he later reworked into his smash hit debut, This Side of Paradise. Well, wasn't that interesting? No, why don't we go down to the library where we can both sit and read Chapter 7, which apparently is long as hell, so you're going to have to sit for a long time. I'll meet you down there. Uh, there you are, uh, getting all settled in, and you better settle in, because this one is long. Uh, chapter 7 of uh, The Great Gatsby. 
It was when curiosity about Gatsby was at its highest that the lights in his house failed to go on one Saturday night. And as obscurely as he'd begun his career as a Trimalchio was over. Eh, already I gotta look up a word. Trimalchio, this better be good. Uh, Trimalchio. Quote, about Gatsby was at its highest that the lights in his house failed to go on Saturday night. It was obscurely as he begun his cruise. It's what I literally just read. I want a definition. Wikipedia, Trimalchio is a character in the first century AD Roman work of fiction, a satiricon by Pretonius. He features the ostentatious Nouveau Riche host in the section called Cena Trimalcinionius, the banquet of Trimalcinio. Often does he, I don't give a crap, that was a waste of time. Only gradually did I become aware that the automobiles which turned expectantly into his drive stayed for just a minute and then drove sulkily away. Wondering if he were uh, sick, I went over to find out. An unfamiliar butler with a villainous face squinted at me suspiciously from the door. Is Mr. Gatsby sick? Nope. After a pause, he added, Sir, in a dilatory, grudging way, I hadn't seen him around, and I was rather worried. I'd tell him Mr. Carraway came over. Who? He demanded rudely. Carraway. Carraway, all right, I'll tell him. Abruptly, he slammed the door. My Finn informed me that Gatsby had been dismissed, uh, every servant in his house, uh, a week ago, and replaced them with half a dozen others, who never went into the West Egg village to be bribed by the tradesmen, but ordered moderate supplies over the telephone. <laughs> the grocery boy reported that the kitchen <laughs> looked like a pigsty, and the general opinion in the village was that the new people weren't servants at all. Next day... Gatsby called uh, me on the phone. Going away, I inquired. No, old sport. I hear you fired all your servants. I wanted somebody who wouldn't uh, <clears throat> gossip. Daisy comes over quite often, dash, in the afternoons. So the whole caraniversary. I'm going to say, I have to look this up. This is probably also not a word. He, sa- he tends to do that. Oh, here we go. Caraniversary. Uh, it's a historical uh, an inn with a central courtyard for travelers in the desert regions of Asia, North Africa. A group of people traveling together, a caravan. Okay, well, that was a waste of time. Had fallen in like a, 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 a card house at the disapproval in her eyes. Uh, there's some people of Wolfsheim wanted to do something for uh, They're all brothers and sisters, and they used to run a small hotel. I see. And he was calling up at Daisy's request that I would come to lunch at her house tomorrow. Eh, Miss Baker will be there. Half an hour later, Daisy herself telephoned and seemed relieved to find that I was coming. Something was up, and yet I couldn't believe that they would choose this occasion for a scene, especially for the rather harrowing scene that Gatsby had outlined in the garden. The next day was broiling almost to the last, certainly the warmest of the summer, as my train emerged from the tunnel into sunlight. Only the hot whistles of the National Biscuit Company broke the simmering hush at noon. The straw seats of the car hovered on the edge of combustion. The woman next to me perspired delicately for a while in her her white shirtwaist, and then as her newspaper dampened under her fingers, lapsed despairingly into deep heat with a with a desolate cry. Oh, her pocketbook slapped to the floor. Oh, my! Uh, she gasped. 
and I picked it up with a wavery bend and handed it back to her, holding it at arm's length and by the extreme tip of the quarters to indicate that I had no designs upon it. <laughs> but everyone nearby, including the woman, suspected me just the same. Or are you just paranoid? Hot! said the conductor, uh, to familiar faces. Some weather, exclamation point, hot, exclamation point, hot, hot, yeah, with exclamation points. Uh, it's not enough for you, is it? Hot, is it? My communica- er, co- communication ticket uh, came back to me with a dark stain from his hand. Uh, that anyone should care in this heat, whose flushed lips he kissed, whose head uh, made damp the pajama pocket over his shirt. Uh, through the hall of the beer cannon's house blew a faint wind, carrying the sound of the telephone bell out to Gatsby and me as we waited at the door. The master's body, roared the butler into the mouthpiece. I'm sorry, madame, but we can't furnish it. It's far too hot to touch this noon. Uh, what he really said was, yes, yes, I'll see. He set down the receiver and came toward us, glistening slightly, to take our stiff straw hats. Madame expects you in the salon, he cried, needlessly indicating the direction, and in this heat every extra gesture was an affront to the common store of life. The room, shadowed well with awnings, was dark and cool. Daisy and Jordan laid upon the enormous couch like silver idols, weighing down their own white dresses against the singing breeze of the fence. Well, we can't move, they said together. Uh, Jordan's fingers, powdered white over their tan, uh, rested for a moment in mine. And Mr. Thomas Buchanan, the athlete, I inquired. Simultaneously, I heard his voice, uh, gruff, muffled, oh, husky, at the hall telephone. Gatsby stood in the center of the crimson carpet and, and gazed around with fascinated eyes. Daisy watched him and, and laughed, her sweet, exciting laugh. A, a tiny gust of powder rose uh, from her bosom into the air. Uh, the rumor is, whispered Jordan, uh, that's, that's Tom's girl on the telephone. Wow, she's just talking about it openly in front of his wife. Uh, we were silent, and the voice in the hall rose high with annoyance. Uh, very well, then. I won't sell you the car at all. I'm under no obligations to you at all. And as far as you're bothering me about it at lunchtime, uh, I, uh, I won't stand that at all. Holding down the receiver, said Daisy cynically. No, he's not, I assured her. It's a bona fide deal. I happen to know about it. Tom flung open the door, blocked out its space for a moment with his thick body, and uh, hurried into the room. Mr. Gatsby, he put out his broad, flat hand with a well-concealed dislike. I'm glad to see you, sir. Uh, Nick, uh, make us a cold drink, cried Daisy. And as he left the room again, she got up and went over to Gatsby and, and pulled his face down, kissing him on the mouth. Oh, you know I love you, she murmured. Oh, you forget there's a lady present, said Jordan. Daisy looked around doubtfully. You kiss Nick, too. Oh, what a low, vulgar girl. I don't care, cried Daisy and began to clog on the brick fireplace. And then she remembered the heat and sat down guiltily on the couch, just as freshly laundered nurse leading a little girl came into the room. Blessed. Precious, she crooned, holding out her arms. Come to your own mother that loves you. The child, relinquished by the nurse, rushed across the room and rooted shyly to her mother's dress. The blessed precious, did mother get powder on your old yellowy hair? Oh, stand up now and, and say, how do you do? Gatsby and I, in turn, leaned down and took the small, reluctant hand, and afterward he kept looking at the child with surprise. I don't think he ever really uh, believed in its existence before. I got dressed before luncheon, said the child, turning eagerly to Daisy. 
That's because your mother wanted to show you off. Her face bent to a single wrinkle of the small white neck. Hey, you dream, you, you absolute uh, little dream. Yes, admitted the child calmly. Uh, Aunt Jordan's got on a white dress, too. Burp, how do you like mother's friends? Daisy turned her around so that she faced gasping. Do you think they're pretty? Uh, where's daddy? She uh, looked like her father, explained Daisy. She looks like me. She's got my hair, huh? And, and, uh, and shape of the face. Daisy sat back upon the couch. The nurse took a step forward and held out her hand. Uh, come, Pammy. Uh, goodbye, sweetheart. And with a reluctant backward glance, the well-disciplined child held to her nurse's hand and was pulled out the door, just as Tom came back, proceeding four gin uh, rickies that uh, clicked full of ice. Gatsby took up his drink. Ah, they certainly look cool, he said with visible tension. We drank in long, greedy swallows. Uh, I read somewhere that the sun's getting hotter every year, said Tom genially. It seems that pretty soon the earth's going to uh, fall into the sun. Or, or wait a minute, or just at the opposite, the sun's getting colder every year. Come outside, he suggested, Gatsby. <clears throat> I'd like you to have a look at this place. And I went with them out to the veranda and on the green sound, uh, stagnant in the heat. One small sail crawled slowly toward the fresher sea. Gatsby's eyes followed it momentarily, and he raised his hand and pointed across the bay. Yeah, I'm right across from you. Oh, so you are. And our eyes lifted over the rose beds and the hot lawn and the weedy refuse of the dog days along the shore. Uh, slowly, the white wings of the boat moved against the pale uh, blue limit of the sky. And uh, ahead lay the scalloped ocean uh, and the abounding Blessed Isles. There's sport for you, said Tom, nodding. I'd like to be out there with him for about an hour. We had a luncheon in the dining room, darkened too against the heat, and, and drank down nervous gaiety with the cold ale. Uh, what, do you, what do we do with ourselves this afternoon? cried Daisy. And, and the day after that, and the next thirty years. Don't be morbid, Jordan said. Life starts all over again when it gets crisp in the fall. Yeah, but it's, but it's so hot, insisted Daisy, on the verge of tears. And everything's so confused. Let's all go to town. I don't want to be around anymore. Her voice struggled on through the heat, beating against it, molding it senseless into forms. I've heard of uh, making a garage out of a stable, Tom was saying to Gatsby, but I'm the first man who ever made a stable out of a garage. <laughs> who wants to go to town? demanded Daisy intently. Gatsby's eyes floated toward her. Ah, she cried. You look so cool. Their eyes met. And they stared at each other, alone in space, with an effort. She glanced down at the table. You always look so cool, she repeated. She had told him that she loved him, and Tom Buchanan saw. He was astounded. His mouth opened a little, and he looked at Gatsby, and then back at Daisy, as if he just recognized her as someone he knew a long time ago. You resemble the uh, advertisement of the man, uh, she went on innocently. You know, uh, the advertisement of the man. All right, broke in Tom quickly. I'm perfectly willing to go to town. Come on, come on, we're all going to go to town. He got up, and his eyes still flashed between Gatsby and his wife, uh, and no one moved. Uh, come on, his temper cracked a little. What's the matter anyhow? If we're going to town, let's start. His hand, trembling with his effort at self-control, bore his lips the last of his glass of ale. Daisy's voice got us to her feet and out onto the blazing gravel drive. Are we just going to go? Yeah, she objected like this. Are we going to go let anyone smoke a cigarette first? Everyone smoked all through lunch. 
Oh, let's have fun, she begged him. It's uh, too hot to fuss, and he didn't answer. Uh, Have it your own way, she said. Uh, Come on, Jordan. They went upstairs to get ready while we three men stood there, shuffling the hot pebbles with with our feet. A silver curve of the moon hovered already in the western sky. Gatsby started to speak. It changed his mind, but uh, not before Tom wheeled and faced him expectantly. Have you got your stables here? He asked Gatsby with an effort. About a quarter of a mile down the road. Oh, a pause. I don't see the idea of going to town, broke out Tom savagely. Uh, Women get these uh, notions in their heads. (laughs) Uh, Shall we take anything to drink? Called Daisy from an upper window. I'll get some whiskey, answered Tom. and He went inside. Gatsby turned to me rigidly. I can't say anything in this house, old sport. Uh, She's got an indiscreet voice, I remarked. It's full of big, long dash. I hesitated. Her voice is full of money, he said momentarily. That was it. I'd never understood it before. Oh, it was full of money. That was the inexhaustible charm of that uh, rose. It fell in it, the jingle of it, the symbol song of it. High in a white palace, the king's daughter, the golden girl. Tom came out of the house, wrapping a quart bottle and a towel, followed by Daisy and Jordan wearing small tight hats of metallic cloth and, and carrying light capes over their arms. They show you, uh, oh, I don't know, should we go to my car? Suggested Gatsby. And he felt a hot, green leather of the seat. I ought to have uh, left it in the shade. Is it a standard shift? Demanded Tom. Yes. Well, you take my coupe and let me drive your car to town. And the suggestion was distasteful to Gatsby. I don't think there's much gas, he objected. Plenty of gas, said Tom boisterously. He, he looked at the gauge. And if it runs out, I'll stop at the drugstore. You can always buy anything at a drugstore nowadays. A pause followed this apparently pointless remark, and Daisy looked at Tom frowning. An ineffable expression, at once definitely uh, unfamiliar and vaguely uh, recognizable, as if I had only heard it described in words, passed over Gatsby's face. Come on, Daisy, said Tom, pressing her with his hand toward Gatsby's car. I'll take you in this circus wagon. He opened the door, but she moved out from the circle of his arm. You take Nick and Jordan. We'll follow you in the coop. Oh, she walked close to Gatsby, touching his coat with her hand, and Jordan, Tom, and I got in the front seat of Gatsby's car. Tom pushed the unfamiliar gears tentatively, and we shot off into the oppressive heat, leaving them out of sight behind. Did you see that? demanded Tom. Uh, See what? I looked at me keenly, realizing that Jordan and I must have known all along. You think I'm pretty dumb, don't you? He suggested. Perhaps I am, but I have a... Almost a second sight sometimes that tells me what to do. Maybe you don't believe that, but science, he paused. The immediate contingency overtook him, pulled him back from the edge of the theoretical abyss. Uh, I made a small investigation of this fellow, he continued. I could have gone deeper if I'd known. Uh, Do you mean you've been to a median? (laughs) Inquired Jordan humorously. Uh, What? Confused, he stared at us as we laughed. Uh, a medium? About Gatsby. Burp. About Gatsby? No, I haven't. I've been making a small investigation of his past. And you found that he was an Oxford man, said Jordan helpfully. An Oxford man, he was incredulous. Like hell he is. Ah, he wears a pink suit. Nevertheless, he's an Oxford man. Oxford, New Mexico, snorted Tom contemptuously, or something like that. <clears throat> Listen, Tom, if you're such a snob, why'd you invite him to lunch? demanded Jordan crossly. Daisy invited him. Oh, she knew him before we were married. God knows where. 
We were all irritable now with the fading ale, and aware of it, we drove for a while in silence. Then, as Dr. T.J. Eckelberg's eyes uh, uh, faded, came into sight uh, down the road, I remember Gatsby's caution about gasoline. Uh, We got enough to get us to town, said Tom. There's a garage right here, objected Jordan. I don't want to get stalled in this baking heat. Tom threw on both brakes impatiently and slid to an abrupt, dusty stop under Wilson's sign. After a moment, the proprietor emerged from the interior of his establishment and gazed hollow-eyed at the car. Uh, "'Let's have some gas,' said Tom, roughly. Uh, "'What do you think we stopped for? To admire the view?' "'I'm sick,' said Wilson, without moving. "'Been sick all day.' Uh, "'What's the matter?' "'I run down.' Uh, well, shall I help myself? Tom demanded. You sounded well enough on the phone. And with an effort, Wilson left the shade in support of the doorway and, breathing hard, unscrewed the cap of his tank. In sunlight, his face was green. I didn't mean to interrupt your lunch, he said, but uh, but I need money pretty bad, and I was wondering uh, what you were going to do with your old car. Uh, how do you like uh, this one, inquired Tom. I bought it last week. That's a nice yellow one, said Wilson, as he strained at the handle. Uh, like to buy it? Now, big chance, Wilson smiled faintly. No, uh, but I can make some money on the other. Uh, what do you want money for all of a sudden? Well, I've uh, been here too long, and I want to get away. My wife and I want to go west. Uh, your wife does? exclaimed Tom, startled. She's been talking about it for ten years. He rested for a moment against the pump, shading his eyes. Uh, and now she's going whether she wants to or not. I'm going to get her away. The coupe flashed by us with a flurry of dust and the flash of a waving hand. What do I owe you? demanded Tom harshly. I just got wised up to something funny in the last two days, remarked Wilson. That's why I want to get away. That's why I've been bothering you about the car. What do I owe you? Dollar twenty. The relentless beating heat was beginning to confuse me, and I had a bad moment there before I realized that so far his suspicions haven't alighted on Tom. He had discovered that Myrtle uh, had some sort of life apart from him in another world, and the shock made him physically sick. I stared at him and then at Tom, and who had made a parallel discovery less than an hour before, and it occurred to me that there was no difference between men and the intelligence or race, so profound as the difference between the sick and the well. Burp, Wilson was so sick that he looked guilty, unforgivably guilty, as if he had just got some poor girl with child. I'll let you have the car, said Tom. I'll send it over tomorrow afternoon. That locality was always vaguely disquieting, even in the broad glare of the afternoon, and now I turned my head as though I had been warned of something behind. Over the ash heaps, the giant eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg kept their vigil, but I perceived after a moment that other eyes eh, 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 were regarding us eh, with peculiar intensity from less than 20 feet away. In one of the windows over the garage, the curtains had been moved aside a little, and Myrtle Wilson was peering down at the car. Oh, so engrossed was she that she had no consciousness of being observed, and one emotion after another crept into her face like, oh, like, like objects into a slowly developing picture. Her expression was curiously familiar. It was an expression I had often seen on women's faces, but to Myrtle Wilson's face, it seemed purposeless and inexplicable until I realized that her eyes, wide with jealous terror, were fixed not on Tom, but on Jordan Baker, whom she took to be his wife. Ah, there was no confusion like the confusion of a simple mind, and as we drove... Well, that's mean. And as we drove away, Tom was feeling the hot wisp of panic. 
his wife, and his mistress, until an hour ago, secure and involatile, but were slipping precipitously from his control. An instinct made him step on the accelerator with double purpose of overtaking Daisy and leaving Wilson behind. And we sped along toward Astoria. Eh, but, eh, oh, I don't know, 50 miles an hour, until among the spidery girders of the elevator, we came in sight of the easygoing Blue Coop. Those big movies around 50th Street are cool suggested Jordan. I love New York on summer afternoons when everyone's away. There's something very sensuous about it. Overripe. That's gross. As if all sorts of funny fruits were going to fall into your hands. The word sensuous. (laughs) Now I'm saying it by accident in a weird way. Sensuous. Had the effect of further disquieting Tom. But before he could invent a protest, the coop came to a stop and Daisy signaled us to draw up alongside. "Uh, Where are we going? She cried. How about the movies? It's so hot, she complained. You go. We'll ride around and meet you after. With an effort, her wit rose faintly. We'll meet you on, uh, oh, I don't know, some corner, and I'll be, I'll be the man smoking two cigarettes. We can't argue about it here, Tom said impatiently as a truck gave out a cursing whistle behind us. You follow me to the south side of Central Park in front of the plaza. Several times he turned his head and looked back for their car as if the traffic delayed them and slowed up until they came into sight. I think uh, he was afraid that they would dart down a side street out of his life forever, but they didn't. Uh, We all took less explicable step of engaging the parlor in a suite of the Plaza Hotel. The prolonged and tumultuous argument that ended by herding us into that room eludes me, though I have a sharp physical memory of that. In the course of it, my underwear kept climbing like like a damp snake around my legs. Eh? and intermittent beads of sweat raced cool across my back. The notion originated with Daisy's suggestion that we hire uh, five bathrooms and take cold baths, <laughs> and then assume more tangible form as a, as a place to have a mint julep. Each of us said over and over that it was a crazy idea. We all talked at once to a baffled clerk and thought, or pretended to think, that uh, we were being very funny. Three dots with a space and then a period. The room was large and stifling. And though it was already four o'clock, opening the windows admitted only a gust of hot shrubbery from the park, Daisy uh, went to the mirror and stood with her back to us, fixing her hair. Oh, it's a swell sweet, whispered Jordan respectfully, and everyone laughed. <laughs> and open another window, commanded Daisy without turning around. There aren't, there aren't any more. Uh, well, we better telephone uh, for an axe. <laughs> and the thing to do is uh, to forget about the heat, said Tom impatiently. You make it ten times worse by crabbing about it. Well, he unrolled a bottle of whiskey from the towel and put it on the table. Why not let her alone, old sport, remarked Gatsby. You're the one that wanted to come to town. Yeah, there's a moment of silence. The telephone book slipped from its nail and splashed to the floor, whereupon Jordan uh, whispered, uh, Excuse me, but this time no one laughed. I'll pick it up, I offered. I've got it. Gatsby examined the parted story, m- muttered, Hum, in an interesting way, and tossed the book to the chair. Uh, that's a great expression of yours, isn't it? said Tom sharply. Uh, what is? All this uh, old sport business? Uh, where'd, you, where'd you pick that up? Uh, now, see here, Tom, said Daisy, turning around from the mirror. If you're going to make a, a personal remarks, I don't want to stay here for a minute. Call up and order some ice for the mint julep. As Tom took up the receiver and compressed heat exploded into sound as we were listening to the, uh, the portentous chords of uh, Mendelssohn's wedding march from the ballroom below. 
Imagine marrying anybody in this heat, cried Jordan dismally. Still, I was married in the middle of June, Daisy remembered. Louisville in June. Somebody fainted. Uh, who was that fainted, Tom? Biloxi, he answered shortly. A man named Biloxi. Blocks, Biloxi. He made boxes. Uh, that was a fact. And he was from Biloxi, huh? Tennessee. Uh, yes, yes. And they carried him into my house, appended Jordan, because uh, we lived just two doors from the church. And he stayed three weeks until Daddy told him he had to get out. Uh, the day after he left, Daddy died. That's bizarre. After a moment, she added, as if she might have sounded irreverent, uh, there wasn't any connection. <laughs> <laughs> that entire story was useless. I used to know uh, a Bill Biloxi from Memphis, uh, I remarked. That was his cousin. I knew his whole family history before he left. Uh, he gave me an aluminum putter that I use to this day. Well, the music died down as the ceremony began, and now a long cheer floated in at the window, followed by intermittent cries of, yeah, 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 and finally a burst of jazz as dancing began. Now we're getting old, said Daisy. If we were young, we'd rise and dance. Remember Biloxi, Jordan Warner. <laughs> Where you know him, Tom uh, uh, Biloxi? He concentrated with an effort. Yeah, I didn't know him. Uh, he was a friend of Daisy's. No, he was not, she denied. I'd never, why is there so much of this being spent on this Biloxi person? I'd never seen him before. Uh, he came down in a private car. Well, he said he knew you. He said he was raised in Louisville. As a bird brought him around at last minute and asked if we had a room for him. Jordan smiled. Oh, he was probably bumming his way home. Uh, he told me he was president of your class at Yale. Tom and I looked at each other blankly. Biloxi! First place. Uh, we didn't have any president. Gatsby's foot beat a short, restless tattoo, and Tom eyed him suddenly. By the way, Mr. Gatsby, I understand that you're an Oxford man. Uh, not exactly. Oh, yes, I understand you went to Oxford. Yes, I went there. A pause. Then Tom's voice, incredulous and insulting. You must have gone there about the time Biloxi went to New Haven. Another pause. A waiter knocked and came with crushed mint and ice, but, but the silence was unbroken by his thank you and the soft closing of the door. Uh, this tremendous detail was to be cleared up at last. Burp. I told you I went there, said Gatsby. I heard you, but I'd like to know when. I was in 1919. Uh, I only stayed five months. That's why I can't really call myself an Oxford man. Tom glanced around to see if we mirrored his unbelief, but we were all looking at Gatsby. Hey, it was an opportunity they gave to some of the officers after the armistice, he continued. We could uh, go to any of the universities in England or France. And I wanted to get up and slap him on the back. I had one of those renewals of complete faith in him that I'd experienced before. Well, that's a good tone to go off on. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we take a little moment to go up to the master bedroom uh, where I can read to you the latest and upcoming romance literature from Penguin Random House Books from the silken sheets of my heart-shaped bed. It used to be a waterbed, but it kept leaking. Uh, kept having dreams that I was peeing myself, and I'd wake up and... I'm covered in moisture, but it turned out it was just the waterbed leaking. Uh, I fixed it. It's a normal bed now, but the walls are made of silk including the ceiling, where I have a giant mirror that you can just look at yourself as I read to you, oh, all about the latest in romance literature coming up in the next months. I'll meet you upstairs. You'll get it when you get up there.
Oh, there you are. Oh, you... You look like an old person. And you're completely naked, which is unsettling. And you've managed to make your body look really, really old, like a senior citizen. And you're naked, which is disturbing. And you're wearing a captain's hat, like you're the captain of a ship. Well, I can't see to see uh, where the hell this is going to go. Uh, and you're handing me a book, Jasmine and Jake Rock the Boat, by Sonia Lally. All right, fine. About Jasmine and Jack Rock the Boat? Sure. An impulsive decision to join an Alaskan cruise getaway brings the chance for an onboard romance in this new Enemies to Lovers romance from the author of A Holly Jolly Dwali. Okay. Jasmine and Rahanda uh, likes everyone. Oh, just Jasmine Rahanda. Uh, right. Likes everyone to think she has it all. Great job, perfect Seattle apartment, and a handsome boyfriend. But she's not as confident or successful as she seems, and her relationship is at a breaking point. When Jasmine finds herself single and tagging along in her parents' vacation, she's not uh, sure if life could get any further off course. It's a nightmare for someone who's been so fiercely independent to find herself on a cruise full of family friends who've judged her since childhood. Things can only get worse once the ship leaves the harbor, and she realizes this is a this is a, 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 a senior's cruise. Well, that explains your weird costume. And the only other person under 50 on the entire boat is her childhood acquaintance. I'm almost 50 years old. I'm not as... I don't think I qualify as a senior. All right. Cocky and successful, Jake Dillon. Jasmine and Jake clash right away, with Jasmine smarting over how the South Asian community puts them on a pedestal as the perfect Indian son, whereas her reputation as a troublemaker precedes her, except that they can't avoid each other forever during the 10-day cruise, and they soon recognize a surprising number of similarities, especially in how many secrets they're keeping hidden from their families. Oh, their restlessness seems to disappear whenever they get together, but is this relationship strong enough to last on land? I kind of resent that they think a 50-year-old is a senior, and that's the kind of people on this boat. Uh, uh, well, screw uh, Sonia Lally with her book, Jasmine and Jake Rock the Boat. Uh, paperback? Nah, 17 bucks. Don't buy it. Uh, apparently, uh, Sonia's a, a liar. I should call herself Sonia Liar, uh, because uh, when you're 50, you're not a senior. Are you? Damn it. April 18th, 2023 is when it comes out. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Powell's Target, and Walmart. But with uh, that new light shown on my upcoming age, uh, I'm not horny anymore. And I'm definitely not horny looking at you in that old person's suit. Before I found out being 50 makes you a senior, I might have tried out whatever the hell you're doing. But apparently I'm a senior and I probably won't be able to get it up. So why don't we just go back down to the library and, uh, and continue reading this book and then I'll just go quietly to my bedroom and cry for a while. You've ruined my day. Uh, and of course, you're still wearing the old person outfit and buck naked. Whatever. Nothing insults me at this point. I've been hit too hard in the gut. I was going to watch the reunion of Love is Blind, which is going to air live on Netflix, an event I've never seen before. A live event on Netflix? Yes, please. But no, then you come over, remind me that I'm real, real old, and then mock me by sitting there with your weird old people outfit where you're also buck naked. I hate you, and I hate that you came here. Why don't we finish this book? So you get the hell out of my house. 
Daisy rose, smiling faintly, and went to the table. Uh, Open the whiskey, Tom, she ordered, and I'll make you a a mint julep. Uh, Then you won't seem so stupid to yourself. Look at the mint. Wait a minute, snapped Tom. I want to ask Mr. Gatsby one more question. Go on, Gatsby said politely. What kind of row are you trying to cause in my house anyhow? Oh, they were out in the open at last, and Gatsby was confident. He wasn't causing a row, Daisy looked on desperately from one to the other. You're causing a row. Please have a little self-control. Self-control, repeated Tom incredulously. I suppose the latest thing is that, oh, now, oh, sit back and let Mr. Nobody from nowhere make love to your wife. Well, if that's the idea, you can count me out. Nowadays, people began by sneering at family life and family institutions, and next, they'll throw everything overboard, verp, and have... Intermarriage between black and white. Oh my God, that's right. I forgot. He's uh, he was reading about quote unquote race science in one of the earliest chapters, uh, and so he's back to being just a racist pile of shit again. Good, good story. Good characters. Flushed, and I wouldn't be surprised if the author of this book was writing about this as if it's like this is some cutting edge stuff. I can't wait to put this in my story because he probably agreed with it. Everyone was racist back then. Flushed with his impassioned gibberish, oh, he saw himself standing alone. Eh, maybe he doesn't because he's called gibberish. The last barrier of civilization. Oh, we're all white here, murmured Jordan. I know. I'm not very popular. I don't give big parties. I suppose you got to make your house into a pigsty in order to have any friends. In the modern world, angry as I was, as we all were. I was tempted to laugh whenever he opened his mouth. The transition from libertine to prig was so complete. Now, I've got something to tell you, in all caps. Old sport, began Gatsby. Ah, but Daisy guessed his attention. Please don't, she interrupted helplessly. Ah, please, let's all go home. Ah, why don't we just all go home? That's a good idea. I got up. Come on, Tom. No one wants a drink. I want to know what uh, Mr. Gatsby has to tell me. Well, your wife doesn't love you, said Gatsby. She's never loved you. She loves me. You must be crazy, exclaimed Tom automatically. Gatsby sprang to his feet, vivid with excitement. Oh, 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 she's never loved you. Did you hear? He cried. Uh, She only married you because I was poor and she was tired of waiting for me. Uh, It was a terrible mistake, but in her heart, she never loved anyone except for me. And at this point, Jordan and I tried to go, but Tom and Gatsby insisted with competitive firmness that we remain, as though neither of them had anything to conceal and it would have been a privilege to partake vicariously in their emotions. Sit down, Daisy, Tom's voice groped unsuccessfully for the uh, paternal note. Uh, What's been going on? I want to hear all about it. Oh, I told you what's been going on, said Gatsby, going on for five years, and you didn't know. Tom turned to Daisy sharply. You've been seeing this fellow for five years? Uh, not seeing, said Gatsby. No, uh, we couldn't meet. But both of us loved each other all that time. Old sport, and you didn't know. Oh, I used to laugh sometimes. But there was no laughter in his eyes. Uh, to think that you didn't know. Oh, that's all. Tom tapped his uh, thick fingers together like a clergyman who leaned back in his chair. Are you crazy, he exploded. I can't speak about what happened five years ago because I didn't know Daisy then. And I'll be damned if I see how you got within a mile of her unless you, unless you brought the groceries to the back there. But all the rest of that's a goddamn lie. Daisy loved me when she was married to me, and she loves me now. No, said Gatsby, shaking his head. 
And she does know. Uh, the trouble is that sometimes she gets foolish ideas in her head and doesn't know what she's doing. Uh, he nodded sagely. And what's more, I love Daisy, too. Once in a while, I go off on a spree. Huh? Uh, 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 I make a fool of myself, but I always come back. And in my heart, I love her all the time. Well, that's rude. That's adorable. Oh, my child's coming downstairs. Loser. No, I'm recording my podcast. You can't cut me off my own podcast. You can yeah. practice the flute. How long is it going to take? I don't know. Another half hour or something. Ah. But, <laughs> who just who just makes a guttural <laughs> yell like that as part of an argument? <laughs> you can sit here and listen to me read till I'm done. Screw you. Fuck you. Or you can go back up to your goddamn room and wait till I'm done. Podcasts pay the bills around here. No, they, they don't. No, they don't. What do you mean you got limited time? I have friends getting online at 7.30. You got friends getting online yeah, at 7.30? I have friends. So you can play, friends, you can play friends, video games with your too. friends? Asshole. Well, it looks like uh, we all have to leave the library so that my <laughs> child can uh, play the flout in uh-huh. it because it is a superior sound. Uh-huh. Uh, so I guess with that, uh, I'll be back. Well, okay, I'm back 24 hours later. Uh, I tried to watch Love is Blind, the live episode on Netflix, and you know how well it went? Horrible. It didn't work the entire time. Kept trying to watch it live, kept saying, can't do it, over and over. In the end, uh, someone was pirating it on uh, Twitch, and uh, that actually wound up being interesting because you get on Twitch, and then you can see that this person's more or less pointed their camera at the TV, and you can hear them making comments, which is kind of funny. And then there's people in the chat saying all sorts of stuff like, oh, he's the the man providing tea we didn't know that we needed, and that kind of thing. So it's more fun. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I gave up on the night. So now I'm picking up where I left off. You're revolting, eh, said Daisy. Oh, she turned to me, and her voice, dropping an octave lower, filled the room with thrilling scorn. Do you know why we left Chicago? I'm surprised that they didn't treat you to the story of that little spree. Gatsby walked over and stood beside her. Daisy, that's all over now, he said earnestly. It doesn't matter anymore. Just tell him the truth. Tell him that you never loved him, and then it's all wiped out forever. She looked at him blindly. Why, M- How could I love him, M-dash, possibly? You never loved him. She hesitated. Her eyes fell on Jordan and me with a sort of appeal, as though she realized at last what she was doing, and as though she had never, all along, intended doing anything at all. Because there's, you know, which, which one's got the best money situation? She can't decide. But it was all done now. It was too late. I never loved him, she said with precipitable reluctance. Not a Kepali, Kip, Kipolani? Kepolani? I'm sure that's a city or uh, possibly a country. Let's find out. Kapolani <clears throat> uh, Medical Center for Women and Children? Well, that was useless. Uh, not at Kapolani, demanded Tom suddenly. No! From the ballroom beneath, muffled and suffocating cords were drifting up on hot waves of air. Not that day I carried you down from the punch bowl to keep your shoes dry. Oh, there's a husky tenderness in his tone. Daisy! Please don't! Her voice was cold, but the rancor was gone from it. She looked at Gatsby. There, Jay, she said, but her hand, as she tried to light a cigarette, was trembling. 
Suddenly, she threw the cigarette and the burning match on the carpet. Oh, you want too much, she cried to Gatsby. I love you now. Isn't that enough? I can't help what's past. She began sobbing helplessly. I did love him uh, once, but I loved you too. Gatsby's eyes opened and closed. You loved me, in all caps, too, he repeated. Even that's a lie, said Tom savagely. She didn't know you were alive. Why, there were things between Daisy and me that you'll never know. Things that neither of us could ever forget. The words seemed to bite physically into Gatsby. I want to speak to Daisy alone, he insisted. She's all excited now, and then just like a big, long M-dash inside the quotes. Even alone, I can't say I never loved Tom, she admitted in a pitiful voice. It wouldn't be true. Oh, of course it wouldn't, agreed Tom. She turned to her husband. As if it mattered to you, she said. Of course it matters. I'm going to take better care of you from now on. But you don't understand, said Gatsby with a touch of panic. You're not going to take care of her anymore. Uh, I'm not. Tom opened his eyes wide and laughed. <laughs> he could afford to control himself now. Why's that? Daisy's leaving you. Nonsense. I am, though, she said with a visible effort. Nah, she's not leaving me. <laughs> Tom's words suddenly leaned down over Gatsby. Certainly not for a common swindler who'd have to steal the ring he put on her finger. I won't stand for this, cried Daisy. Oh, please, let's get out. Uh, who are you anyhow, broke out Tom. You're one of the bunch that hangs out with Meyer Wolfsheim. That I uh, happen to know. I've made a little investigation into your affairs. Eh? And I'll carry it further tomorrow. Oh, you can suit yourself about that, old sport, said Gatsby steadily. I found out what your drug stores were. He turned to us and spoke Rapidly, he and his Wolfshine bought up a lot of side street drugstores here and in Chicago and sold grain alcohol over the counter. That's one of his little stunts. I picked him up for a bootlegger the first time I saw him, and I wasn't far wrong. What about it, said Gatsby politely. I guess your friend Walter Chase wasn't too proud to come in on it. And you left him in the lurch, didn't you? And you let him go to jail for a month over in... <clears throat> over in... New Jersey? God, I ought to hear Walter on the subject of you. He came to us dead broke. Oh, he's very glad to pick up some money. Old sport. Well, don't you call me old sport, cried Tom. Gatsby said nothing. Walter, could you have, uh, could have you up on the betting laws too? But Wolfsheim scared him into shutting his mouth. That unfamiliar yet recognizable look was back again in Gatsby's face. That drugstore business was just small change, continued Tom slowly. Oh, but you got something on now that Walter's afraid to tell me about. I glanced at Daisy, who was staring at, terrified between Gatsby and her husband, and at, uh, oh, Jordan, who had begun to balance an invisible but absorbing object on the tip of her chin. What? Then I turned back to Gatsby. <laughs> Burp. And uh, was startled at his expression. He looked, and this is said in all contempt for the babbled slander of his garden, as if he had, quote, killed a man. For a moment, the set on his face could be described in just that fantastic way. It passed, uh, and he began to talk excitedly to Daisy, denying everything, defending his name against accusations that had not been made. Uh, but with every word, she was drawing further and further into herself. So he gave that up, and only the dead dream fought on as the afternoon slipped away, trying to, to touch him what was no longer tangible, struggling unhappily, undespairly, toward the lost voice across the room. The voice begged again to go. Please, Tom, I can't stand this anymore. 
Her frightened eyes told that whatever intentions, whatever courage that she had had, were definitely gone. Yeah, you two start out home, Daisy, said Tom, in uh, Mr. Gatsby's car. She looked at Tom, alarmed now, but he insisted with magnanimous scorn. Go on, he won't annoy you. I think he realized that his presumptuous little flirtation is over, but they were gone without a word. Snapped out, made accidental, isolated like ghosts, even from our pity. After a moment, Tom got up and began wrapping the unopened bottle of whiskey in the towel. Uh, want any of this stuff? Jordan? Eh, dash, dash. Nick? I didn't answer. Nick? He asked again. What? Want any? No. I just remember that today's my birthday. I was 30. Before me stretched the portentous, menacing road of a new decade. It was 7 o'clock when we got into the coop with him and started for a Long Island. <clears throat> Tom talked excessively, exulting and laughing, but his voice was as remote from Jordan and me as to the foreign clamor of the sidewalk on the tumult of the elevated overhead. Human sympathy? Oh, yeah, it's got its limits. And we were content to let all their tragic arguments fade with the city lights behind. 30. The promise of a decade of loneliness. Yeah, yeah. A, a thinning list of single men to know, a thinning briefcase of enthusiasm, uh, thinning hair. Eh? Uh, but then there was Jordan beside me, who, unlike Daisy, was too wise ever to carry a well-forgotten dreams from age to age. As we passed over the dark bridge, her wan face fell lazily against my coat's shoulder, and the formidable stroke of thirty died away with the reassuring pressure of her hand. So we drove on toward death through the cooling twilight. The young Greek, uh, Michalis, who ran the coffee joint beside the ash heaps, was the principal witness at the inquest. What? And he had slept through the heat until after five when he strolled over to the garage and found George Wilson, Wilson sick in his office. Really sick. Like, pale as his own pale hair and shaking all over. Michaelis uh, advised him to go to bed, but Wilson refused, saying that he'd miss a lot of business if he did. While his neighbor was trying to persuade him, a violent racket broke out overhead. I got my, uh, I got my wife locked up in there, explained Wilson calmly. Uh, she's uh, she's going to stay there till the day after tomorrow, and then we're going to move away. Michaelis was astonished. They had been neighbors for four years, and Wilson had never seemed faintly capable of such a statement. Generally, uh, he was one of those worn-out men. When he wasn't working, he sat on a chair <clears throat> in the doorway and stared at the people in the cars that passed along the road. Uh, when anyone spoke to him, he invariably laughed in an agreeable, colorless way. He was his wife's man and not his own. So naturally, McCallus tried to find out what had happened, but Wilson couldn't say a word. Instead, he began to throw curious, suspicious glances at his visitor and ask him what he'd been doing at certain times, certain days. Uh, just as the latter was getting uneasy, some workman came past the door bound for his restaurant. And McCallus took the opportunity to get away, intending to come back later, uh, but he didn't. And so he supposed he forgot, that's all. But then he came outside again uh, a little after seven. He was reminded of the conversation because uh, he heard Mrs. Wilson's voice, uh, loud and scolding downstairs in the garage. Uh, beat me, he heard her cry. Throw me down and beat me, you dirty little coward. A moment later, she rushed out into the dusk, waving her hands and shouting. 
Before he could move from his door, the business was over. The, quote, death car, unquote, as the newspaper called it, didn't stop. It came out of the gathering darkness, uh, wavered tragically for a moment, and then disappeared around the next bend. McCallus wasn't even sure of its color. He told the first policeman that it was a, oh, I don't know, light green. Uh, the other car, the one going toward New York, came to a rest a hundred yards beyond, and its driver hurried back to where Myrtle Wilson, her life violently extinguished knelt in the road and mingled in a thick, dark blood in the dust. <clears throat> Michaelis and this man, yeah, they reached first, but when they had torn open her shirtwaist, still damp with perspiration, they saw that her left breast was swinging loose like a flap. <laughs> yeah, and there was no need to listen for the heart underneath. Uh, oh, oh, now I know what they're saying about swinging loose like a flap. It got cut off. Okay, all right. Well, that's not fun. Uh, the mouth, it's not fun that they're dead. I don't know why I laughed at that part. The mouth was wide open and ripped at the corners, as though he had choked a, a, a little in giving up the tremendous vitality she had stored for so long. We saw the three or four automobiles in the crowd when we were still some distance away. Rack, said Tom. That's good. Wilson have a little business at last. He slowed down, but still without any intention of stopping until, as we came nearer, the husband, intent faces, and the people at the garage door made him automatically put on the brakes. Uh, we'll take a look, he said doubtfully. Uh, just a look. I became aware now of a hollow, wailing sound which issued incessantly from the garage. A sound which, as we got out of the coop and walked toward the door, resolved itself into the words, Oh my God! uttered over and over in a grasping moan. Oh, there's, there's a bad trouble here, said Tom excitedly. He reached up on tiptoes and peered over a circle of heads into the garage, which was lit only by a yellow light and a swinging wire basket over there. Then he made a, a harsh sound in his throat, and with a violent thrusting movement of his powerful arms, pushed his way through. The circle closed up again with a running murmur of exultation. It was a minute before I could see anything at all. Then the new arrivals deranged the line, and Jordan and I were pushed suddenly inside. Myrtle Wilson's body, wrapped in a blanket, and then in another blanket, though she suffered from chill in the hot night, uh, lay on a work table by the, uh, by the wall. And Tom, with his back to us, was bending over it, motionless. Next to him uh, stood a motorcycle policeman. Eh? Yeah, and talking down, taking down names with as much sweat and correction in a little book. And at first, uh, I couldn't find the source of the high, groaning words that echoed clamorously through the bare gar uh, garage. And then, I, uh, then I saw Wilson standing on a raised threshold of his office. Just, uh, just swaying back and forth and holding to the doorposts with both hands. Some man was talking to him in a low voice and attempting from time to time to lay a hand on his shoulder. But Wilson neither heard nor saw. His eyes would drop slowly from the swinging light in the laden table by the wall and then jerk back to the light again and then gave on incessant uh, its high, horrible call. Oh, oh my God. G-A-O-D. God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, comma, my God, exclamation point. Presently, Tom lifted his head with a jerk and, after staring around the garage with glazing eyes, addressed a mumbled incoherent remark to the policeman. M-A-Y, the policeman is saying, oh, no, R, corrected the man. M-A-V-R-O, listen to me, muttered Tom fiercely. R, said the policeman. O-G, Gee, he looked up as Tom's broad hand fell sharply on his shoulder. Uh, what do you want, fella? Uh, what happened? That's what I want to know. Auto hitter. Uh, instantly killed. 
instantly killed, repeated Tom, staring. Uh, she ran out in a road. Uh, son of a bitch didn't even stop a car. Uh, there were two cars, said McAllis. One coming, one a-going. See, going where, asked the policeman keenly. Uh, one going which each way. Well, she and his hand rose toward the blankets, but stopped halfway and fell to his side. She ran out, and uh, the one coming from New York knocked her right into her, uh, going 30 or 40 miles per hour. <clears throat> What's the name of this place here, demanded the officer. Hasn't got a name. A pale, well-dressed, oh, N-word, stepped near. Uh, not the really bad N-word, the second to really bad N-word. They're still equally bad. It was a yellow car, he said. Big yellow car. New. See the accident? Asked the policeman. No, but the car passed me down the road, going faster than 40, going now. 50, eh, 60? Come here, let's have your name. Look out now, I want to get his name. Some words of conversation must have reached Wilson, swaying in the office door, for suddenly a new theme found voice among his grasping cars. Uh, you don't have to tell me what kind of car it was. I know what kind of car it was. Watching Tom, I saw the wad of muscle back of his shoulder tighten under his coat. Oh, he walked quickly over to Wilson, and standing in front of him, seized him firmly by the upper arms. Uh, you gotta pull yourself together, he said in a soothing gruffness. Wilson's eyes fell upon Tom. He started up on his tiptoes, and then would have collapsed to his knees if not Tom had held him upright. Uh, listen, said Tom, shaking him a little. I just got here a minute ago <clears throat> from New York. I was bringing you that coupe you've been talking about. That yellow car I was driving this afternoon wasn't mine. Uh, do you hear? I haven't seen it all afternoon. Only the N-word and I were near enough to hear what he had said, but the policeman caught something in the tone and looked over with truculent eyes. Uh, what's all that? he demanded. I'm a friend of his, Tom turned his head, but kept his hands firm on Wilson's body. He says he knows the car that did it. It was a yellow car. Some dim impulse moved the policeman to look suspiciously at Tom. What color is your car? Yeah, it's a blue car, a coupe. Yeah, we come straight from New York, I said. Someone who had been driving a little behind us confirmed this, and the policeman turned away. Now, if you uh, let me have that name again, correct? Picking up Wilson like a doll. Tom carried him into the office and set him down in a chair and, and came back. If somebody will come here and sit with him, he snapped authoritatively, and we watched as the two men standing closest glanced at each other and went unwillingly into the room. Uh, then Tom shut the door on them and came down a single step, his eyes avoiding the table. As he passed close to me, he whispered, Let's get out. Self-consciously, with his authoritative arms breaking the way, we pushed through the still-gathering crowd, passing a hurried doctor. Who does that? I know that there was a time, because I've got a book of, like, photography from, like, newspapers in Minneapolis in, like, the 1930s all the way, like, to the 60s. And if there was a car accident, people would just stand around and just stare at it. It was weird. Nobody does that anymore. Uh, but, you know, like a, even if a building's on fire, people don't go gather around and stare at it. But apparently that was a thing people did back then because they didn't have television or phones in their pockets that actually entertain you. So they'd see people suffering and dying and be like, oh, let's go look at that. And then just stand there for like an hour. So apparently that's what's happening here. And he's got to use his big arms to push through them. <clears throat> Tom drove slowly until we were beyond the bend. Then his foot came down hard, and the coupe raced along through the night. In a little while, I heard a low, husky sob, and saw that the tears were overflowing down his face. 
Ah, the goddamn coward, he whimpered. He didn't even stop his car. The Buchanan's house floated suddenly toward us through the dark, rustling trees. Tom stopped beside the porch and looked up at the second floor, where two windows bloomed with light among the vines. Daisy's home, he said, as if we got out of the car and he glanced at me and frowned slightly. I ought to have uh, dropped you in West Egg, Nick. There's nothing we could do tonight. A change had come over him, and he spoke gravely, uh, with decision. As we walked across the moonlight gravel to the porch, he disposed of the situation in a few brisk phrases. <clears throat> I'll telephone for a taxi to take you home. And while you're waiting, you and Jordan better go in the kitchen and have them get you some supper, if you want any. He opened the door. Come in. No, thanks. I'd be glad if you'd order me a taxi. I'll, uh, uh wait outside. Jordan put her hand on my arm. Why don't you come in, Nick? No, thanks. I was feeling a little sick and I wanted to be alone, but uh, Jordan lingered for a moment. Uh, it's only half past nine, she said, and I'll be damned if I go in. I'd had enough of all of them for one day, and, and suddenly that included Jordan, too. Yeah. And she must have seen something in this expression, for she turned abruptly away and ran up the porch steps of the house. I sat down for a few minutes with my head in my hands until I heard the phone taken up inside and the uh, butler's voice calling a taxi. And then, I, and then I walked slowly down the driveway away from the house, intending to wait by the gate. I hadn't gone 20 yards when I heard my name and Gatsby stepped from between two bushes. He's literally hiding in the bushes, into the path. I must have felt pretty weird by that time because I could think of nothing except the luminosity of his pink suit under the moon. Uh, what are you doing? I inquired. Uh, just standing here, old sport. Uh, somehow that seemed a despicable occupation. Uh, for all I knew, he was going to rob the house in a moment, and I wouldn't have uh, surprised to see sinister faces, the faces of, quote, Wolfshine's people behind him in the dark shrubbery. You see any uh, trouble on the road? He asked after a minute. Yes. He hesitated. Was she killed? Yes. I thought so, I told Daisy. I thought so, and it better be the shock would come all at once. She stood it pretty well. He spoke as if Daisy's reaction was the only thing that mattered. I got to West Egg uh, by a side road and went on. Uh, I left the car in my garage. I don't think anybody saw us, uh, but of course I can't be sure. I disliked him so much by this time that I didn't find it necessary to tell him he was wrong. Uh, who was the woman? Burp, he inquired. Her name was Wilson. Her husband owns the garage. How the devil did it happen? Well, I uh, tried to swing the wheel. He broke off, and suddenly I guessed at the truth. Uh, was Daisy driving? Yes, he said after a moment. But of course, I'll say I was. You see, when we left New York, she was very nervous, and she thought it would steady her to drive. And this woman rushed out at us just as we were passing a car coming the other way. Oh, it all happened in a minute, but it seems to me that she wanted to speak to us. Uh, thought we were somebody she knew. Well, first Daisy turned away from the woman toward the other car, and then she lost her nerve and turned back. The second my hand reached the wheel, I felt the shock. It must have killed her instantly. It, it ripped her open. Uh, don't tell me, old sport, he winced. Anyhow, uh, uh, Daisy stepped on it, and I tried to make her stop, but she couldn't, so I pulled on the emergency brake, and then she fell over into my lap, and I drove on. Sure, uh, she'll be all right tomorrow, he said presently. I'm just going to wait here and see if she tries to bother her about that unpleasantness this afternoon. She's uh, locked herself in her room, and if she tries any brutality, oh, she's going to turn the light out and on again. Uh, he won't touch her, I said. He's not thinking about her. I don't trust him, old sport. Uh, how are you going to wait? 
Oh, all night if necessary. Anyhow, until uh, they go to bed. A new point of view occurred to me. Suppose uh, Tom found out that Daisy been driving. Eh? Oh, he might think he saw a connection in it. Oh, he might think anything. I looked at the house, and there were uh, two or three bright windows downstairs, and the pink glow from Daisy's room on the second floor. You wait here, I said, and I'll see if there's any sign of a commotion. I walked back along the border of the lawn and traversed the gravel softly and tiptoed up the veranda steps. Yeah, the drawing room curtains were open, and I saw that the room was empty. Crossing the porch where we had dined that June night three months before, I came to a small rectangle of light, which I guessed was the pantry window, and the blind was drawn, so I found a, a rift at the sill. Daisy and Tom were sitting opposite each other at the kitchen table, with a plate of cold fried chicken eh, between them, and two bottles of ale. He was uh, talking incessantly across the table at her, and her earnestness, his hand had fallen upon uh, and covered her own. Once in a while, she looked up at him and nodded in agreement. They weren't happy, uh, and neither of them had touched the chicken or the ale. Oh, yeah. And yet they weren't uh, unhappy either. Oh, well, there was that unmistakable air of natural intimacy about the picture, and anybody would have <clears throat> said that they were conspiring together. Uh, as I tiptoed from the porch, I heard my taxi feeling its way along the dark road toward the house. Gatsby was waiting there, and I'd left him in the drive. Uh, it's all quiet up there? He asked anxiously. Yes, it's all quiet. I hesitated. Y you better come home and get some sleep. Yeah, he shook his head. I want to wait here till Daisy goes to bed. Good night, old sport. And he put his hands in his coat pockets and turned back eagerly to his scrutiny of the house. What, from between the bushes? Like a little pervert. As though my present marred the sacredness of the vigil. Hmm. So I walked away and left him standing there in the moonlight, watching over nothing. Well, that was interesting. Why don't we uh, go down to the smoking room where we can have a pipe or possibly a cigarette and uh, discuss what the hell we just read. Okay, all right, look, I just finally got here. Uh, you're real quick. You're real, real quick when you're dressed up in the uh, weird senior citizen naked outfit. Uh, why don't we recap what... Mm, my goddamn wife with her birds. Uh, <clears throat> chapter 7. Gatsby uh, wants his privacy as he gets with Daisy, so he fires all of his staff and replaces them with weirdos from Wolfsheim. Uh, Nick goes to Tom and Daisy's for lunch. Uh, Jordan and Gatsby are there hanging out. Tom's shouting at someone on the phone. Uh, Jordan says he's arguing with the girlfriend, but really it's just uh, the girlfriend's husband about the car. Daisy's daughter crashes the party, a little turd. And, uh, though Daisy goes, oh, God, I love you so much. It's kind of like, okay, now it's time for you to go. Get the hell out of here. Uh, so she doesn't really love that daughter very much. Daisy uh, makes it clear to Tom that she's in love with Gatsby, uh, just kind of by her voice. The sound of her voice, apparently, is kind of what gave it away. Tom Tom's kind of shocked, but uh, it's Daisy's expressive voice, her money voice, that apparently uh, gave it all away. So they drive to the city. Burp. Tom uh, learned Gatsby's real history uh, and says he's not what he claims to be. They stop at Wilson's gas station uh, with the big eyes staring at all of them. And Wilson says he's planning on taking his wife out west. And Nick and Myrtle can, uh, or Nick can see Myrtle being creepy from upstairs, is what I tried to say. Uh, and just staring at Jordan because she thinks that Jordan is Tom's wife because she's never seen this person. Tom 
is a massive player. Uh, they get to New York and argue about what to do, so they go to get a hotel room to get out of the heat, even though there's no air conditioning, so you're just sitting in a hot box in a hot room with people having a wedding downstairs. Tom confronts Gatsby about his feelings for Daisy, uh, so they argue. Tom calls out Wolfshine's bootlegging business and hints at Gatsby's involved even worse stuff. Uh, Daisy pleads with him to stop, so Tom uh, sends her home with Gatsby and Gatsby's car, just kind of rub it in her face, like, why don't you go spend time with the guy you love? Because she just got done saying, I love Gatsby, Tom, and, uh, and then Gatsby's pushing her, oh, come on, you didn't even love Tom once. And she's like, yeah, maybe, and then Tom's like, yeah, she did. It was just a really intense conversation. <clears throat> Nick suddenly realizes that he's 30 for no reason and laments. Uh, then we shift to the point of view for a guy named Michaelis, 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 a witness uh, at the inquest later in the future. Michaelis got upset when he went to Wilson's garage and found that Mr. Wilson locked his wife up in her room and was planning on leaving her, uh, leaving her in a couple days. Leaving her in the room? That was never made clear. But he's going to leave in a couple days. Michaelis heard an argument between them where Mrs. Wilson rushed out into the night and was killed by a hit and run. Tom's car pulls up shortly afterwards. He learns it was Gatsby's car, and Tom drives home crying and kind of just vowing revenge, I guess. Then when Tom gets home, Jordan goes to bed, and and Tom finds Daisy. Nick waits outside for a taxi, uh, which is weird because they can just drop him off at home. It's just across the river or whatever, but now apparently that's too much to ask. Uh, Drag this guy all the way out to the city, make him watch you have this horrible interaction, and then just be like, well, you're on your own. Uh, He says that Daisy was driving and uh, hit Mrs. Wilson when he sees Gatsby. Sorry, he saw Gatsby out there in the bushes. And Gatsby's ready to take responsibility for Daisy, and that he's waiting around to make sure that Tom doesn't hit her again. But when Nick goes, uh, sneak a little peep, he's going to just peep a little bit. Because you know, you know that Nick's got a peep. Uh, you see, Tom and Daisy are just talking calmly in the kitchen. So Nick leaves, and Gatsby stays there to quote, "Watch over nothing." What's good? Uh, this chapter was actually very well crafted. Uh, the heat and everything. I'll get into the symbolism in a minute. But the heat, the argument, the people celebrating downstairs while they're upstairs uh, with their own declining uh, relationships. Uh, then eventually a death uh, was uh, pretty good. Uh, what sucks? Uh, We don't know if his wife wrote this chapter. Uh, What do we learn? Well, though we don't learn exactly what Wolfsheim does for a living uh, by having his servants that are really good at keeping it a secret, we learn that he's got some uh, serious illegal stuff going on. If he's a guy to go to to get quiet servants, that's not a good thing. Uh, We get more narrative repetitions, Nick's lunch, the presence of Jordan, the telephone calls, and Daisy being a spaz, with the only difference being that Gatsby is there overseeing it and adding a new layer of tension. Uh, There's the symbolic heat, like I was just saying, that plays through nearly every meeting or party. Daisy's daughter showing up adds some guilt to what's uh, playing out, and also to show how Daisy is not uh, being genuine in how she loves her kid, or how she loves people around her. There's also how Daisy seems to come out of nowhere with her need to have Gatsby drive her to New York. Uh, She's trying to humiliate Tom, I suspect, and rub his nose in it like how she was humiliated by the car accident with the maid, I think, in Chapter 1. There's also how, which is also repetition, because now she kills Tom's person, uh, or whatever, love interest. Uh, It's kind of all repetition. There's also how Daisy's voice is, quote, full of money, which I love that, which is the way of pointing out again uh, how she's all about money. Money's why she's with Tom, and it's why she couldn't go all in with Gatsby uh, until he's got it. 
later. Uh, there's the billboard of the eyes keep showing up uh, when things are tense or getting worse. It's either that they're being judged by some higher power, I suspect, the reader, maybe, or since the lung triangle is all near it, uh, it represents how they're all watching each other intently. We got a lot of emotional momentum also going on in this part. Escalating heat, loud wedding downstairs from the rented room, which points out the declining marriage above. Tom and Daisy echo a similar scene at lunch, uh, along with the repetition of the argument in the previous chapters of the rented room. The party and the violence of the vi uh, previous scene playing out as a party of emotional violence of this one, with the point being that uh, any violence seems to result in uh, physical violence always happening to Myrtle. That keeps going on. For some reason, Myrtle's just kind of the giant punching bag in this story. For some reason, Tom wants Daisy to go home with Gatsby. I think it's just to kind of rub it in her face. Uh, it could be a thing that the author just wanted to use to make the car accident, uh, similar to his echo in Daisy's driving. Or it could be that uh, Tom wanted Gatsby to be humiliated by her having time to express her love for Tom. Uh, there's also the weird moment when Nick has to talk about being 30, which I thought was really stupid. Uh, it could have been to symbolize how he's so wrapped up in all this bullshit that he's starting to completely forget about himself. So suddenly he's realizing, I'm my own person. Turns out I'm 30. I've got my own uh, motivations and things that drive me forward in my life. The drama between these people is so intense it sucks uh, people in completely and takes over their lives, which is why he suddenly pulls himself away from it. It could also be a reference to his getting older as opposed to all the young people uh, coming back from the war. Because they make that point. Everyone's come back from World War One, and they're all just kind of indulging in themselves. Like, I almost died out there. This lady at the auto shop wants to have sex with me. I'm not going to say no, because I almost died out there. So maybe it has uh, something to do with that. As he's getting, because uh, all these kids are kind of living this life now. So as he gets older, he's becoming more removed from this kind of movement. Uh, then there's the events at the Buchanan home where Daisy doesn't confess to being uh, the one behind the wheel. Uh, this paints Daisy as even more frighteningly selfish uh, than we had seen before. Gatsby offered to take the blame uh, for that murder uh, is his way of just trying to either protect her and hopefully she'll really appreciate that he's going to sacrifice himself and he'll go to prison while she gets to live comfortably. Or she's so selfish and so about money that she'll be like, oh, what a sweetie, and then not really give a shit, which is probably what's supposed to happen. Uh, but that's about it. Well... We reviewed that. Oh, thank God for the grandfather clock. I was actually done, and I thought this was a long-ass chapter, uh, and I thought I'd be talking way past the clock, but there it is. So with that, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, consider getting your own friends and not coming to an old man's house uh, to have him read to you. I don't know why I'm doing it. I guess it's because that's the premise of the podcast. But you should get your own friends, but I'm sure I'll see you next week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's, there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com, which uh, basically just points you to Mastodon. Why did I go all in with Mastodon? I have no idea. But if you go there, it'll uh, point you to my link tree where you can listen to episodes. 
which is confusing uh, and meticulous. Uh, but if you want to go to just my link tree, which is L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Nuzzle House, it'll uh, point you to all the rest of my shows. Like uh, Glenn Reads Books to You, which you're listening to right now. Uh, just Dating the Curious Mind, where my wife and I uh, write uh, paranormal smut and then publish it on Amazon. And also Nuzzle House's CBS Radio Mystery Theater, where we basically create our own episodes of Radio Mystery Theater, a show from the 70s, uh, because they don't make them anymore. Damn it, we want to hear something new. Oh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, something that I try to use but dislike, which is uh, Instagram.com slash House Nuzzle. And uh, the lesser now, thanks to uh, Elon Musk, uh, Twitter. Used to be my home, and now I can't stand it. Which is uh, twitter.com slash house nuzzle. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a nerdling or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. 